You know, a few weeks ago, I shared a message entitled Followers in Service. And I promised you that I would begin a little series kind of along the, those same lines of those who mentored others to follow in their footsteps. So today will be another message in that series. And, and rather than, than just simply stick with my former title, I decided to give it a different title you see there in the, in the bulletin because the real theme of the, today's message is found in this word, unashamed. But it is the second part in this series. You know, we talked about the history of ancient Israel. The sad, really tragic story of how, although many times there were judges, leaders, great leaders who would lead Israel in great reformations, the sad commentary was true. It found in Judges 2.19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. Time and time and time again, a judge would come. And time and time again, when they died, Israel was right back where they were when they started. Yet there were a few, not many, but a few, Great men who passed the torch of leadership to the next generation. Among them was the man Moses, and that was the man we studied last time, who for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, not only led the children of Israel, but personally mentored one man, Joshua. And that man, Joshua, when Moses was told he could no longer enter the kingdom, the, the promised land, Joshua took his place. And Moses' leadership, though Moses was dead, Moses' leadership continued on through the person of Joshua. But this is by no means the only instance in Scripture where this has happened. Though it is not the norm, yet throughout Scripture, in both the Old and New Testament, we find cases of this beautiful principle of mentorship, where a great leader not only leads the multitude, not only leads the nation, but instills his character in another younger leader who can then take his place and carry on his leadership after he is gone. We find this illustrated no less than in the story of Paul and his spiritual son, Timothy. You know, the word Timothy literally means honoring God. We find Timothy mentioned in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and you can turn there with me in your Bibles. We have time. Acts chapter 16. We find really the first mention of Timothy. Acts 16 and verse 1. Then he, speaking of Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Well, he was first and foremost a disciple. A disciple of who? A disciple of Paul? No. A disciple of Jesus Christ, just as Paul was a disciple, just as all of the believers were called disciples of Jesus Christ. And I believe here is a principle of mentorship within the Christian church. 
is that we do not become disciples of other people, but first we become disciples of who? Jesus Christ. And Timothy was already a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he needed more. He needed a personal connection with someone who could mentor him to become more than he was already. Now, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. And this becomes important later on in the story. Now, it's important because, first of all, Timothy had a godly upbringing. His mother, his grandmother were both Jewish. They were God-fearing women. And they had an influence on Timothy's early life to instill within him the fear and the love of God so that when he learned of Christ and when he learned to follow Christ, he had a solid grounding. He was not a novice in the scripture. And yet, you could almost say that Paul's choice of Timothy was perhaps almost strategic. And by that, I don't mean that he was a strategizing person, but it was it was good, it was healthy for him to choose a young man that had almost, as it were, a foot in both camps. With a mother who was Jewish, he knew the Jewish traditions and the Jewish rites. With a Greek father, you have to know that at some level, he understood and sympathized with the Greek believers. And the Christian church of that time was made up in many ways of two camps. The Jews who had converted to Christianity and the Greeks or the Gentiles who had converted to Christianity. And there was still at this time a lot of friction between the two sides, as it were. They were fellowshipping. They were meeting together. They were learning to to break down the barriers. And Paul saw in Timothy one who could sympathize with both sides. His mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. It's important here that Paul... Paul was the one who recognized the leadership potential in Timothy. Not that he had it within himself, but it was a gift from God. And Paul desired that Timothy would go on with him. And it goes on to describe how Paul had Timothy circumcised because of the Jews and uh, prepared Timothy to go on, and they, they began traveling together. You know, just like Joshua with Moses, just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John with Jesus. Timothy became not just a disciple of Jesus, because that's first and foremost, but he in many ways became a disciple of Paul. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. Paul, as the older one in the relationship, needed some assistance. He needed a traveling companion. And Timothy was there to give him this much-needed assistance. At the same time, Timothy, though he was well-grounded in the faith, he was young, he was inexperienced, and he relied on the wisdom and mentorship and experience of Paul. But it's important to see that Timothy didn't live his life, as it were, under the shadow of Paul. He was often sent on different errands, different missionary journeys. Paul would send him on ahead, send him different places. They would go different ways, but then at some point they would rendezvous again and give more opportunities for mentorship. We find in Acts 19.22 another mention. There's many times Timothy is mentioned in in Acts, but Acts 19.22. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, 
Timothy and Erastus. Now, Timothy was not the only one that Paul was mentoring. He was mentoring many others, but perhaps there was a special relationship there with Timothy. Two of the, of the epistles of Paul were written to Timothy. But it's see, uh, he, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So they were separated at, from time to time. And perhaps it is beneficial for us today that they were separated, because if they were not, how would we ever have the beautiful counsel that Paul gave to Timothy recorded in the Bible for us? So Paul sent Timothy to visit the Corinthian believers as well. First uh, Corinthians four seventeen and sixteen ten both mention how he says, "When I send Timothy to you," but when he wrote the second epistle. Timothy was right there beside Paul. In fact, I don't know, I didn't count exactly how many, but a great number of Paul's epistles begin with the words, Paul and Timothy. Timothy was there beside Paul through thick and thin. Now, what did Paul go through? Did he ride in a limousine around around the... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, did he have an entourage of, uh, of of bodyguards, or did he travel alone? Was he shipwrecked? Was he thrown in prison? Was he scourged and beaten? Do you think that Timothy suffered? Do you think that Timothy got off scot free? <laughs> if you read in Hebrews thirteen twenty three, there's an interesting mention of Timothy. Uh, turn there with me. Hebrews, it's right at the very end of Hebrews. A lot of times at the, at the very beginning or the very end of the different epistles of Paul, Paul will make some little miscellaneous remarks, uh, that he wants notes of news or greetings. And if Hebrews 13, 23, he says, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. And what do you gather from that if he was set free? He was in jail. That's all I could figure. In fact, it, it, Paul mentions it as well in his epistle to Timothy, this, how Timothy was with him in his suffering. Timothy wasn't going through everything that Paul went through. He was no stranger to hardship. You might be wondering, how come I'm focusing so much on these special mentoring relationships? Perhaps it's because, and it is true, that uh, one of my school assignments, one of my projects uh, for this summer school that I've been going through, was to do some research, and I, I had several topics that I could pick from, and I chose this topic of mentorship. And so I've been doing some research and sharing, uh, especially with our elders over in London, some different different presentations. But I thought, as I was going through this research, I felt like, you know, this is, I'm learning so much, I want to share this more with the church family. So that's one reason. That's not the only reason, of course. Perhaps it's because as I've begun this chapter of my life in full-time ministry, I have realized more than ever before the importance of having mentors, having those who have gone before who can give wise counsel and advice. I've never been through 101 situations before that they have, and uh, I'm thankful for the telephone. I can call people up on the telephone, some of my mentors, some of the other pastors that work in this conference, people that I've that I know who have worked in ministry and uh, even even people who have pastored this church before who can give me wise counsel and advice. And I, I can't say how thankful I am for that. Perhaps, sadly, 
I've come to this realization of how important it is to foster these relationships now as one after another of our own church members and members of my own family have passed to their rest and with them all of the wisdom that they have gained in their lifetime. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to call up my dad and say, hey, dad, what would you do? You know, or my grandfather. My grandfather pastored in in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination for many, many years and passed away two years ago. Or many of the members and elders. And I've realized the brevity of the opportunities that we have to gain wisdom from those who've gone on before, before it's too late. But as I've studied these mentoring relationships, I've realized how much the Bible has to say. And I've been blessed, and I hope you will be as well. There's something special about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Perhaps it's because, like I said, as they were separated, Paul writes these letters, these epistles to Timothy, and pours out his heart in touching and intimate language to his dear son in the faith. Paul opens the first epistle to Timothy. In fact, you can turn there with me. First, uh, first Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, actually. Paul says to Timothy, how does he describe him? A true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to urge Timothy to charge him to be faithful. But I love how he addresses Timothy in his second epistle. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. To Timothy, this is 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. There's so much meaning just in these words, just in this one phrase, a beloved son. And truly, Paul loved Timothy as much as any earthly father could love his own children. Verse 3, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. How many of you are parents? I know many of you are. I know you aren't yet, Aaron, but (laughs) most of the rest of you are. How often do you remember your children in prayers every day? Now, how often do we remember our spiritual children? What about those of us like me who are younger? How comforting is it to know? And I I have church members tell me probably every week, one or another one, I'm praying for you. There's a a lady that I worked with uh, at the health department, and when she knew that uh, I was going into ministry, she told me, I'm going to pray for you. But she didn't stop there. Every week, she has sent me a text message, usually on Monday morning. I'm praying for you. She'll send me a little encouraging Bible verse or a little quote or a little picture, something to encourage me and Christina both. I'm praying for you. You know, there's, those words are easy to say. But if you're honestly praying for someone, sometimes that's, that's more than anything else in the world. And Paul is, is, is not just praying, but what does it say? Without ceasing remembering you in my prayers, night, and day. When I call to remembrance, he says, the genuine faith that is in you. The genuine faith. Listen to the tender language. How much Paul realizes 
how much Timothy is giving up, how what Timothy is doing to follow God, to go on mission for God, to give up everything else in life, and even life itself if need be, to be with him, and not for Paul, but for Jesus Christ. Their hearts were in the same place. And I think that's what drew Timothy and Paul together so close, is because their hearts were together, united in ministry for God. But in verse 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. I love this. You know, we talk about coming to Christ. We talk about giving our hearts to God. And of course, part of that, uh, especially when it comes to, to mission and ministry, involves laying on hands and commissioning to ministry. And Timothy had been commissioned to ministry. But it's not a one-time thing. We don't believe once saved, always saved. We don't believe once in ministry, always in ministry. Even those who stand in ministry need encouragement to continue on, to continue on, to stir up the gift that God has given. You know, I love to think about how the relationship between Paul and Timothy must have been. They were together for a while, we know. Sometimes they were separated, but always coming back together. And I can, I can imagine Paul asking Timothy questions. Not because he wanted to learn, although maybe that, maybe that too, but most importantly, he wanted Timothy to learn. Think about this. If this is true, and if the Bible says this, what does that mean? And, and, and in the process of conversation, Paul is drawing out of Timothy a deeper and fuller understanding of the scriptures. And Timothy, in turn, is relying and leaning on the wisdom of Paul. Step by step, is this what God would have us to do? You know, it changes our character when we, together, with those, whether whether we're young and we're relying on the old, or we're old and we're, and we're mentoring the young, it helps to cement our character in the word of God. And this is what was happening with Paul and with Timothy. I love this one statement, though. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to to the power of God. And this is where I've taken the title of today's message. Paul admonishes Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of of God. And don't be ashamed of me. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? I mean, to be be honest. You know, I, I have to admit, I have. When I was going to school, I had been homeschooled uh, growing up and uh, even in high school. And so when I went to college, I was in a completely new environment. And the last thing that I wanted to happen to me was to have everybody in the class laugh at me. Y- you know what I'm talking about. The last thing you want is to have someone laugh at you, to make fun of you. And, and so I would go to school and I would, I would try to, to hide in a corner and not, not try to be too vocal. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do things that were wrong. I just didn't want to be vocal about who I was or what I believed in. It was easier not to say anything 
than to try to bring up the fact that, oh yeah, I go to church on Saturday, and that's because I believe in the Bible Sabbath, and and, and then someone would ask, oh, where do you go to church? Oh, um, um, uh, I, I go to the Seventh Day Adventist church. I mean, have you heard of us before? <laughs> what does it mean to be ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of who we are? I, I know when I spent a year canvassing, and, and I'm almost ashamed to, to say it, but I, I, I had to learn, but it was it was difficult and in some ways even more difficult. When you'd go to a door and knock on the door, and you're sharing these truth-filled Christian books, and someone would come to the door in the first few seconds, and they would say, oh, who are you with? What church are you with? And I almost would hesitate to say, I'm with the Seventh-day Adventist church, although it's true, I was, because I, invariably someone would mistake me for a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, just just uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I was at the Chicken Festival, and someone asked me that, and I said, we're with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they said, uh, one wife? <laughs> yeah, only one wife. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I love the one I've got, but don't give me any more. <laughs> are we ashamed of who we are? Are we ashamed of the gospel? Or can we boldly say and learn to say, I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, saved by his grace, washed in his blood. I'm no longer a citizen of this world, and I don't care what you say about that. I'm bound for a heavenly kingdom, and I expect to see Jesus return soon, literally, visibly in the clouds of heaven. Soon. Yes, even in my lifetime. As a citizen of his country, and because I love him, and with gratitude in my heart, I want to follow his ways. I want to keep all of his commandments. That's why I'm not ashamed to call myself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of your identity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, looking forward to his soon coming and keeping his commandments? My friends, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of the Lord nor of me, his prisoner. And I had to think about that in light of who Timothy was and who Paul was and what he had done. Paul was no doubt the greatest missionary, the Christian missionary that this world has ever known. And yet, the second epistle of Timothy was written, perhaps was the very last epistle that Paul ever wrote, written from prison, as Paul was sitting on death row, Timothy was not in prison at this point, not as far as we know, but he was there with Paul. And how tempting would it have been for Timothy to be at least a little bit ashamed of his relation to Paul? I mean, if you were best friends, and everybody knew you were best friends with a prisoner on death row, someone somewhere would question whether you were in cahoots with them. Right? I mean, uh, right? And after all, Timothy as a young man would have been so easy to say, you know, I mean, I believe the gospel, all right. That's not a problem. I believe in Jesus. But I mean, Paul, he was just kind of a little bit of a firecracker. I mean, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he should have known it. In fact, the church on his last missionary journey before he is, he's going back to Jerusalem. The church, time and time and time, is telling Paul, don't do it. Don't go back there. He goes back to Jerusalem, and then, and then, 
Okay, this is going, I, I imagine it's going through Timothy's mind, has to. He goes against what he's taught everybody. He's been telling there's no difference between Jew or Greek. You don't have to keep all these ceremonies and laws and what does Paul do? He goes and purifies himself according to the ceremonial law in order to almost like to make some kind of bridge back with with the Jews and with his old life. And he's doing this, and while he's there in the temple, that's when he's arrested, and that's when he's taken off to Rome. And you almost have to think that at some level, Timothy would be tempted to be ashamed to be associated with Paul. Now let me ask you this. How many times have you, I'm not talking to myself too, or I, been tempted to be ashamed of some people in this church? Maybe not in this local church, but maybe people that we know, great leaders who may be older than us, who have great experience, but have made some serious mistakes. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, And it's very easy for young people to see the mistakes that their parents have made. Those of you in here who have had parents, which is all of us, because I don't know anyone who's never had a parent. <laughs> Those of you in here who have, had, who have had parents, did your parents ever make a mistake? Okay. Do we still honor our parents? Are we commanded to honor our parents? And I think at some level it may have been difficult for Timothy to not be ashamed of Paul. Some of you may know and some of you may, may not be following things so so closely, but uh, every year, there's a, I think it's every year, the, the, the uh, fall annual council meets, I think it's just before the general conference, I'm sorry, the fall annual council meets for the general conference, um, and this, this fall, we've been seeing the, uh, some of the discussion that comes out of the annual council, and it's not all pretty. And in fact, the discussion goes around that some of the discussion and some of the things that are being talked about. Now, I have to say, I'm very proud about some of the decisions that our church has made in the last few weeks. A decision to take a stand much more strongly and vocally against abortion than our church has ever done before. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's long overdue. I'm almost ashamed that it's been taking us this long. But praise God, we have a, we've taken a stand that we've not taken before. Amen? But I have to say, some of the other things that are discussed, and I'm not going to get into church politics because that's not why I'm here, but some of the other things that have been discussed, no matter what side you may find on, the discussion makes me cringe a little bit. And it's tempting to feel ashamed. This is my church. Why are we arguing? Why are we, why are we fighting and biting each other and fighting amongst ourselves? If you read the epistles of Paul, It'd be easy to be ashamed of the early Christian church, to be connected with people like those Corinthian believers who were in such scandalous behavior. It'd be easy to be ashamed. It would have been easy for Timothy to be ashamed of Paul. But Paul says, no, no, do not be ashamed of me. Because above it all, through it all, despite it all, yes, I've made mistakes. Paul was keenly aware of the mistakes that he made. Not a day went by when he didn't remember what he had done in his earlier years, dragging men, women, and children off to be to prison and to death 
because they named the name of Jesus. The day went by when he didn't remember that. Or the time in Athens when he, his, his intellectual genius got the best of him and he began debating in Athens for Christ. He was doing the right thing in the wrong way. And he says later, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And no doubt in those long hours and days and weeks and years in prison and traveling to Rome, he had to have wondered if he did the right thing in Jerusalem by going there to be purified with the young men in Jerusalem. But above it all, Paul says, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Don't be ashamed of me as an apostle of Jesus. Because through it all, despite the mistakes, I've been called of God. And don't be ashamed of my calling, Timothy. You know, one of the founders of our church, Mrs. Ellen G. White, she lived through really several generations of leaders within our church. And toward the end of her life, as she was writing her commentary on the life of the Apostle John, she penned these words, and I want to share just a few words here with you. Speaking of the Apostle John, He says, when John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, there were many who thought him to be past service, an old and broken reed, ready to fall at any time. But the Lord still saw fit to use him. Though banished from the scenes of his former labor, he did not cease to bear witness to the truth. Even in Patmos, he made friends and converts. His was a message of joy, proclaiming a risen Savior on high, and interceding for his people until he should return to take them to himself. It was after John had grown old in the service of his Lord that he received more communications from heaven than he had received during all the former years of his life. That's when he wrote the book of Revelation, there on the lonely island of Patmos. She goes on to say, The most tender regard should be cherished for those whose life interest has been bound up with the work of God. These aged workers have stood faithful amid storm and trial. They may have infirmities, but they still possess talents that qualify them to stand in their place in God's cause. Though worn, unable to bear the heavier burdens that younger men can and should carry, the counsel they can give is of the highest value. They may have made mistakes, but from their failure, they have learned to avoid errors and dangers. And are they not therefore competent to give wise counsel? They have borne test and trial, and though they have lost some of their vigor, the Lord does not lay them aside. He gives them special grace and wisdom. I have to, <laughs> I have to confess, um, as I, as I think, as I read these words, the, the thought comes to mind of our brother Glenn, and it is so, Strange not to have him sitting here. I went and visited him this last week and, and spent a while just talking with him and sharing with him. Uh, he has been a true mentor to me, and I know probably to every one of us here. And uh, I hope and pray that he has enough strength to come and, and fellowship with us again next week and share with us. Uh, we're praying for that. But I want to ask you today, are you ashamed of the gospel Are you ashamed of God's church? Now, it's true. We've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. God's church, God's people have made mistakes. But will we be ashamed? Or will we, like Timothy, like Paul admonished him, be unashamed 
As Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. No, we're not worshiping a human element. Because above it all, above all the human things that we see, God is on his throne. And he is there in the heaven above. And we, in what we suffer, need not be ashamed of him. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. I don't know where I'm going in this world. I don't know how much longer I have to live. I know I've made mistakes. But I can trust in one that's never failed me. I know the one I've believed in. And I'm not ashamed of where I'm going. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, we know whom we have believed in and that you are able to keep what we've committed to you until that day. Lord, may we never be ashamed of you. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but go forward boldly, proclaiming his love to a world in need. And may we honor those who have gone before us with the honor that they deserve and learn from them as we seek your soon coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.